much. Okay, so uh, how many of you here, in, in the next couple of weeks, uh, it's going to be Mother's Day. How many of you guys are mama's boys? Would you raise your hand? Okay, wow. Wow, there's quite a few mama's boys here. Thank you. And in a few weeks after that, it's going to be Father's Day. So how many of you are ladies are daddy's girls? Would you raise your hand? Oh, wow. This is awesome. Okay, all right. All right, I didn't think that I'd see so many hands. Um, You know, whether you're a mama's boy or a daddy's girl or whether you're not, we know that our parents have influenced us a great deal, haven't they? And they have really uh, worked in us, and uh, they've actually helped fashion us to be uh, who we are. So uh, I have a question, an intro question, and I'd like you to find the person next to you. And I'd like you to answer what word of wisdom, okay, or life lesson did your parents teach you? Out of all the momisms and dadisms, out of all the things that, you know, um, they, they uh, spoke into your life, what is one that you can share with each other? Would you take a couple minutes and would you do that right now? Talk to one another. Okay, you guys are talkers. I remember from the last time I spoke, and that's awesome. All right. Now, I am admittedly a mama's boy, okay, meaning that I have such tremendous connection with my mom. My mom actually was probably the greatest influence of my life. My father was also, don't get me wrong, but my mom was the one who greatly influenced my life and she did it because of what I like to call her momisms, okay? Those things uh, that she would tell me over and over and over again. And she had so, hundreds of momisms that she would speak into my life. Some of them were extremely powerful, some of them not so much, right? But she always had that courage and aggressiveness, right? To always share her momisms. There was one that was ingrained into my brain. And I believe it's a very important one that God has used throughout my life. It's the one truth that she would share, and this is it. David, focus on the inside, not the outside. She would look at me and she goes, David, focus on the inside, not the outside. So that when I was in high school and I'd be working out with weights, getting a good pump, right? And I would look in the mirror and I would do those bodybuilding poses because I had big muscles back then, right? Uh, I would look and I would admire myself and she would pass by and she would cluck her tongue and she'd say, David, she would say, work on the internal, not the external, okay? Or when I would look in the mirror to admire myself when I was younger, okay? She would say, David, develop the interior, not the exterior. And she would always say this. She would say, David, be a man after God's own heart. My mom was a committed Christian and she named me after one of the greatest characters in all the Bible, David. And I always wondered why. Mom, why did you name me that? Well, when we studied the Old Testament Saint David, we noticed that David was an achiever, right? That he was the greatest king of Israel. He was the standard by which all other kings were judged. He was the greatest psalmist. He was the worship leader of Israel. That more than half the songs that we find in the Bible are attributed to David. He was, at his time, the greatest soldier that he was respected by allies, but even foes respected David. 
He was the greatest messianic prophet, meaning that he foretold about Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus actually uses David more than any other prophet to tell about him. So it's obvious, isn't it? That my mom, being a tiger mom, right, wanted me to overachieve like David in my life, and that's why she named me David. But in light of all of David's accomplishments, what made David greatly used of God was not those things, necessarily. As a matter of fact, when I asked my mom, I said, why did you name me David? Her answer was very simple. She said, I want you to be a man after God's own heart. And so here's the truth that my mom consistently drilled into me. But this wasn't just one of her momisms. This was biblical truth. This is why she named me David. What made David great was not his public heroism, but rather his private heart. Let me say that again. What made David great was not his public heroics, but rather his private heart. What my mother instilled in me was not her ideas. She was giving me divine truth from the word of God. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, when God directs the prophet Samuel to look for the future king of Israel, God commands this in verse 7, Do not consider his appearance or the height of his stature. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The heart is the inner, the hidden, the private, the secret. And that is what God looks at. And David was a man after God's own heart. This morning, I want to tell you one of the greatest truths that have really impacted and influenced my life. It's one of my favorite um, um, truths. And that is that greatness with God does not occur in the public life, but rather in the private life. The greatness with God occurs in the private Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it up here for you. Here, David, in this text, is 17 years of age. And God has been privately preparing him his whole life as a shepherd in the backside of a desert. And God has been establishing David's character for 17 years to be a man after God's own heart. So that before David's public appearance with Goliath of Gath, here David's inner heart had already been established by God. So that when you study the life of David, you see a man of tremendous passion and commitment to God. Now, true, he fell. And there was horrific sins that you find in his life. But even when he fails, there's no denying that he's consistently a lover of God, that there's a sincerity that he has in seeking God. Now, these characteristics had been engraved in the desert experiences. They've been forged in the valley experiences. They've been perfected in the hidden experiences of his life. Now, every one of us, we have a public life, don't we? And we have a private life. The public life is what everyone sees. As I look out, you know, at this congregation, I see a lot of beautiful people, right? Dressed really nice. And you guys, if I were to talk to you after the service... I'm sure we'd have some witty banter, right? We'd be able to talk about things. And you guys would show me your public life. And I would think, wow, you guys are amazing. You guys are wonderful. But the private is what God and God alone sees. The public is what everybody sees, but the private is what you and God know to be true about what's on the inside. 
And God places supreme value on our private life more than on our public life. If I had time, I could show you scripture after scripture in the Old and New Testaments where this is true. That God's desire is to prepare you in the private place, in the hidden, secret place where no one can see. Because it's in our private walk with God that will determine our public success as Christians. In 1 Samuel 17, we see one of the most recognized stories in all the Bible. And you've probably heard this story a hundred times. It's the battle between David and Goliath in the Valley of Elah. But what I want to do today is I want to skip the public victory that we all know so well. Why? Because when we look at this narrative, we gravitate toward that public display of victory. But you know what? There is actually a private hidden insight or insights in this story that I don't want you to overlook. Because I believe they are just as profound. You know, if we are, if we are born again Christians, the Bible says that we're all disciples. The question is, are we a good disciple or are we a bad disciple? You know, the Bible tells us that the moment we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were enlisted as his disciples. So the question is, are we strong disciples or weak disciples? Are we mature disciples or are we immature disciples? Are we deep in our discipleship or are we shallow? This morning, I want to study the life of David so that we can learn how to be that disciple that God wants us to be. We want to learn how to be men and women after God's own heart in the area of cultivating our interior lives. Deep, strong, mature discipleship that requires spiritual development in our inner lives. So we're going to look at three characteristics. This message is very simple. Three characteristics established by God and exhibited in David before his external victory over Goliath. So let's look. The first point, if you're taking notes, write this down, is David's humility. David's humility. Let's look in verse 14 and 15, if we could put it up here. 14 and 15 of chapter 17. Now, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from King Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. I want you to stop right there, okay? Now, This is an easy passage to pass over without a second thought because it sounds like just exposition, right? But we need to understand a couple things to really make this passage come alive. In chapter 16, and I don't want you to turn there, but I want you to just listen. In verse 14, let me give you some background on this passage. In chapter 16 and verse 14, just listen. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him, And Saul's attendants said to him, Let our king command his servant here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit comes upon you, and you'll feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. Verse 19, Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. Verse 21, And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul said to Jesse, allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased. I want you to notice that David was already promoted to the court of King Saul even before this battle with Goliath. 
Saul was tormented by an evil spirit, and David was enlisted as a musician because of his skill with music and singing, and he became one of the fixtures in the court of Saul. As his armor bearer, David became a permanent fixture. I want you to remember that, okay? And now I want, you, I want to read on, okay? Keep that in the back of your minds. In chapter 16, you don't have to turn there, just listen. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil beyond your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or the height of his stature, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Verse 10. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen any of these. And so he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons that you have? Jesse answered, They're still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, Send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel anointed him in the presence of his brothers. So in this passage, we see that David was anointed by God to be the future king of Israel. And David was already in the court of the present king of Israel as his armor bearer and musician. This was before uh, the, the battle with Goliath. So here's the text. And here's my question. Why did he continue then in chapter 17, verse 14 and 15, to go back and forth to tend to his father's sheep at Bethlehem? David could have easily dismissed this responsibility. He could have seen shepherding his father's flock as beneath him. I don't want to go back and forth doing this. And as a matter of fact, the life of a shepherd was a very humble existence. No one aspired to be a shepherd, right? A shepherd was considered a lowly occupation. And so there's no nostalgic idea that David loved being a shepherd. No. Surely this was no place for a position and rank of a future king of Israel. But I want you to notice the heart of David. That David saw all his responsibilities as equal. That David didn't say, you know, now that I'm a courtier to the king, I shouldn't have to go back and forth. Come on, dad, I don't want to do this. He didn't say, well, one day I'll be the future king. I've been anointed by Samuel, so this stuff is beneath me. I'm not going to do this anymore. He was willing to take on any responsibility that was required of him to do. And I'm sure that he didn't like doing some of these things. But one thing we catch in his character is that David was a servant. And I want you to catch that. David was a servant. Why is that important to us? Because we as Christians... We're called to be servants. Amen? It's easy to forget that in our lives. That the deeper we grow as disciples, the more like Jesus we need to become. And Jesus was a servant. In Philippians 2, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. You see, the example of Jesus was servanthood. The example that he gave to his disciples was that of humility as a servant. 
Now, I don't know where you are today, but let me ask you, in your life, in your private life, in your secret life, in those things that are happening, is God working on your servanthood? Are you struggling in a lowly job today? Are you struggling in the time of waiting? You have ambitions, but yet they haven't materialized. And you're in this mundane, monotonous, day-to-day responsibilities. Are, you, are your circumstances humbling you today? Are you finding your, your situations difficult? Is God using sickness or conflict or even trials or persecution? You know, this sounds cliche, but it's so true that these things are being used to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. Is God humbling you? Is God showing you areas of selfishness? Are God showing you self-centered things in your life? God revealing pride. Is God pointing out things that you are unwilling to follow him? Are you finding it difficult to be a servant in the lowly things of life? Let me share with you, don't despise the lowly things because God is using those very things to make you into the person that he wants you to be. Can I get an amen? You know, at 23 years of age, I remember when I first started ministry, cut my teeth on ministry. I remember uh, back then, and you know, I'll be honest with you, I thought to myself, man, in a couple years, in a few years, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do great things for God. And I'm going to have a church of a thousand people, okay? And I'm going to go on all these, you know, mission trips, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to speak here and there. It sounds pretty bad, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. That's the kind of stuff. I was so ambitious. And can I share with you, I don't, not all of it was worldly and self-centered uh, the way I thought it. Being a young guy, I wanted to do great things for God. And so that was my mentality. And then God had the audacity, right? to put me in a desert. For 20-some years, God put me in deserts and valleys. And my experiences, I've seen church splits and power plays politically. Uh, I've seen things in churches that I don't think pastors should even have to see. But God broke me down. God used all those desert and, and, and valley experiences. And so now that I'm an older pastor... I don't think the same as I did when I was a younger pastor. My perspectives have changed. The way that I look at uh, one person, the way that uh, I disciple uh, groups is very, very different. The way that I even speak is very, very different from the beginning. What's happened? It's those desert experiences. It's those lowly experiences. It's those mundane, monotonous waiting periods that God uses to craft you into what he wants you to be. I wanted to do great things for God when I was young. And now I realize that in doing great things for God, God has a purpose. And he's taught me to be humble. And maybe God's doing that with you. God was developing David's servant spirit in the lowly, mundane, humble things before he ever saw public success. Humility. Are you humble in the lowly things? Let's look at the second point, David's dependability. Let's uh, continue reading uh, in verse 17. Now, Jesse said to his son, David, take this ephah of roasted grain, these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. 
Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up, set out as Jesse had directed. Verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. Now you might be thinking, why mention all this stuff, right? It sounds so insignificant. So he took some grain, bread, and cheese. He gave it to his brothers. He was sure to give it to his unit commander. He left the flock with a shepherd. He went back and forth uh, to tend to his father's sheep. So what? As insignificant as this sounds, we see a pattern emerge. As insignificant as these things are, we see a pattern. And here's the pattern. That the little things are important to David. That the little things. David was dependable in the logistics. David was dependable with the sheep. David made sure that everything was being done. It might sound boring, but the little things mattered. And let me share with you this. The little things in private determine the big things in public. The little things that you have to take care of in private are the big, will in the, in the larger scheme determine the big things in public. You know, Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 15, part of the wisdom literature, says this. Catch the little foxes that destroy the vineyards because our vineyards are in full bloom. So the picture is that our lives are like a vineyard and it's growing and we're productive. But there's these darn little foxes that love to pick at the vineyard. And if we allow the little foxes room in our vineyard, they will destroy our productivity. That's the idea here of our lives. That it's the little foxes that do the big damage to our growing vineyards. Now what are those little foxes that threaten our productivity? Well, they're the little habits of our lives. You see, it's in our private lives that we develop habits, good habits and bad habits. And dependability really, really matters to God in the little things. Now, we talk about loving God, right? That Christianity is a relationship. It's not a religion. And that's what I want to focus on, is our relationship with God and how our relationship is growing with the Lord. And so let me ask you a couple things. In our relationship with God, How are you in your daily quiet times? How are you in your devotional life? You know, if we see prayer as communicating with God, as speaking to God, and we see Bible study or Bible reading as God speaking to us, it's essential that we do it daily, right? With my wife, Joanne, if I didn't talk to her uh, for a day, our relationship would deteriorate. If I didn't regularly communicate with her, right? We wouldn't have that great of a relationship. And it's the same with the Lord. Do we spend time with the Lord? And if that's important in our lives, do we spend 30 minutes to an hour a day, right? In relationship with God. But it's the little foxes of neglect that really do damage to the vineyards that we have. Let me ask you, in loving the Lord, do you give regularly to the Lord's work? Do you give regularly to the church or to some parachurch organization? Are we generous 
in our finances with the Lord. Now, you might say, I'm a college student. I'm broke, right? I've taken a lot of college students out, right? And uh, I've fed them. Uh, I heard the laugh, so Wilson probably did too. And I know in taking them out, you know, they'll tell me, they'll say, you know what? When I hit it big, when I become a doctor, I'm going to give a lot to the church. I'm going to do all these things when I have a career. Right now, I'm poor. So, I mean, I can't do anything. But when I get rich, I'm going to do all these things. And I always think in my head, when you become a doctor or you become a lawyer or whatever, okay, and you have a career, right, are you really going to do those things? Because here, we're developing habits now. You're developing the habit of worship. And we're developing the habits uh, of God in our resources that God has given to us, but it's the little foxes of self-centeredness that really can hurt those things. I have so much more, but I'm going to move on to David's integrity, okay? Let's look at David's integrity. Verse 23, And Goliath, the Philistine champion of Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard. Now, I want you to notice that Goliath's title was champion. That means he's undefeated in single combat. And the Bible says that all the soldiers of Israel trembled in fear. But I want you to notice that David doesn't tremble. In verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here, David refused to call him a champion. Instead, he refers to him as uncircumcised. Now, when I used to read this, uh, being younger, I used to think he was just trash talking, right? He was just saying, oh, uncircumcised, and he was using that. But really, he wasn't doing that, okay? What uncircumcised meant was that he was not a part of God's covenant community. He's a pagan. So David was saying, who is this pagan who attacks the character of my God? He doesn't even know God. He has no right to say anything. Now, word reaches King Saul. Let's look in verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. Verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Verse 33. And King Saul replied, you're not able to go out and fight against the Philistine. You are only a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. So Saul tries to give him a reality check, right? You're a 17-year-old teenager. He's a giant. He's a champion warrior. Don't do this. But I love this response. And this is where you see David's integrity. And it's the crux of the whole passage. This is the reason why David was unafraid. In verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came to carry off a sheep from the flock, verse 35, I went after it, I struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. I seized it, and I killed it. Here he's not bragging. He's sharing his testimony. You see, David experienced God's faithfulness in the past. And on that basis, David has complete faith in God for the present. David's integrity was trusting in the Lord. Now, do you know why David wasn't afraid of a giant in public? It's because he wasn't afraid of a lion in private. Do you know why David didn't run from a giant in public? It's because he didn't run from a bear in private. Think about this. If I had three doors and I said, in door number one, we have a lion. In door number two, we have a bear. Door number three, we have Shaquille O'Neal. 
I put a gun to your head and I said, you have to confront one of these doors. Who would you choose? Shaquille O'Neal, right? Because you have the best chance of winning over Shaquille O'Neal. What I'm saying, (laughs) yes, what I'm saying is many times we forget the miraculous victories that David already battled in his private life that nobody ever knew about. Many times the battles we face in private are even greater than the ones that we face in public. You see, no one saw David uh, fight the greater lion or the greater bear. If I was a shepherd and a lion came wanting my flock, you know, come in, take whatever sheep you want. I wouldn't do a thing. But you see David's integrity, that David risked his life because he found it important, and by faith he won a battle, and based on that battle he said, what's a giant to me, right? See, there was a greater battle that he was able to, to, to see victory in. And David battled a greater enemy in private. Verse 36, here's my point. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, the battles that you will win in private will determine your character in public. So win over your private foes so you won't lose in your public life. Defeat your foes in private so they won't defeat you in public. Defeat the foe of pornography in your private life so that it won't destroy your marriage in your public life. Defeat dishonesty in your private life so you won't embezzle money in your public workplace. Defeat laziness in your private life so you won't be a failure in your public life. Defeat bitterness in your private arena so you'll grow to be a gracious Christ-like follower of Christ to do great things in the public. Do you get what I'm saying? The battles that we face in private are real. And many times they're greater And God calls us to win those things, even when nobody sees. Real-life Christianity means taking the private life seriously. I close with this poem. It's called Hidden Valleys. And it's one of my favorite poems. It says, In a hidden valley just over the hill, a young shepherd boy surrenders his will. As he lifts his voice in praise to his king, only the lambs will hear and follow as he sings. In a hidden valley, a faithful one leads. No one looking on, he cares for their needs. For he knows the one who tests the heart. And so he is steadfast and content to do his part. Hidden valleys produce a life song. Hidden valleys will make a heart strong. Desperation will cause you to sing. Hidden valleys turn shepherds to kings. In a hidden valley, a leader is born. He has faced his fears and he's weathered the storms. So with humble heart and love for his God, he becomes royalty with just a staff and rod. I'm not saying that David was perfect. He was far from it as we look in scripture. But one thing we see is that David cries out how much he needs God's love. How much he needs God's forgiveness and presence every day of his life. David was a man in need of the gospel. And David allowed the hidden valleys, the inner, the secret, the private areas of his life to be developed by God. Let me ask, as as we pray, every head bowed, every eye closed, 
Can you in the quietness of your own heart discern that God is developing you in the hidden valleys of the private life? Humility. Are you humble in the lowly things? Dependability. Are you dependable in the little things? Integrity. Are you living with integrity in the unseen things? Father, I pray that you would speak afresh and anew to your people. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. At this time, if you could, um, turn to that same person that you spoke with in the beginning. And uh, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin or encourages us in our sanctification. And I really believe that as the message was given, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about certain areas. Would you share with one another those things? Either it's a sin that you need to, you know, uh, relinquish, or it's something that encourages your sanctification. But can you share with one another and pray with one another? And that's how we'll close the message.